0: indeed seen that very readily. The loss of lives in Putnam County, the loss of structures numbering into the hundreds, the loss of many other things that perhaps even words right now can't easily describe. But to say all that allows us to close this slide and I would simply use this time to bring to our mind someone who was often upon our thinking not that long ago. Don Blackwell, when, of course, he that terrible tragedy he suffered, and yet, given the nature of his circumstances, he himself could speak so notably about tragedy and the kinds of benefits that sometimes can actually be seen beyond its horizon. I hope today that as you and I think a little bit about what has happened in this community, I'd like to share some things with the Word of God that I hope will fortify our faith and maybe it will allow us to be even stronger in understanding the nature of what the Bible would teach concerning things that are looked upon in this way. First of all, maybe the opening lesson should be this. I've entitled it simply The Uncertainty of Life. The uncertainty of our existence here. As great as the God of heaven is, and as merciful and as loving as He is, He does not promise that you and I will be here a hundred years. He just doesn't promise it. Look at some of these passages, at least reminding us about the integrity of the Bible's message concerning this, and then we'll look at a few additional thoughts by way of examples. But begin this way with me. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How many about noontime on Monday had no idea what was to transpire in 12 hours. I suppose that would be true of every single person, every single family, including all of us here today. And yet the fact is, there were those who didn't live to see the light on Tuesday morning. Their life had been taken from them in the nature of this tornado and in the other things that sometimes had happened in connection to it. The fact is, That could be your lot or mine, too. By this time tomorrow, you or I may not be here due to one or more events that might transpire. It goes without saying that next thought is this, and we all know it so terribly well. The Word of God would testify to it as much as our own observation that life in this flesh is so fleetingly brief. It is so terribly short by any measure with which it might be measured. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We might all do well to be so thankful when things are going well, but to ever appreciate the fact that they could turn so quickly and other matters could soon be our lot. But that brevity in life leads us to notice... That means the uncertainty connected to life in this flesh is just simply a fact of existence. No one knew that tornado was coming here. The best meteorologists on earth couldn't have told you Monday that it was coming through Putnam County that night. Oh, they may have had generalized weather warnings that spanned hundreds of miles north and south. But to know explicitly and exactly that it was going to hit here, they just didn't know it. Nobody did except God. And maybe it's fair to say that doesn't the Bible remind us that our appreciation here in brevity might be seen and compared to a vapor that appears for a little while, just a little time, and then vanishes away. That uncertainty in life leads me to close that opening thought. Although it's so tragic to contemplate things like a tornado or other natural disasters, It's just another part of the fabric reminding us of the brevity and the uncertainty connected to life in this flesh. But lesson two, or at least observation number two, which goes right along with that, is this. Given that uncertainty and given its brevity, the overwhelming message of the Bible is you've got to be ready. You must be prepared at every moment because you don't know when you're going to leave here for good. And you don't know wherein that moment will occur, wherein maybe you will have drawn your last breath here. To be ready, nothing is more important than that. And overwhelmingly, the Bible asserts how significant and how needful that thought is. Look at some of these verses with me. Hebrews 9, 27 reminds us, that even if we advance to older age, still the time comes when, as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. One time appointed for death. That one time to, in fact, leave the appreciation of this physical existence of the flesh and move beyond it to a realm different, far different than this one. The nature of that passage brings me to note this one. Everything that ultimately has any matter at all will have to be connected to your faithfulness and mine. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We all know the answer to that. Without a doubt, every person would trade everything on the day of judgment just to be called faithful don't matter what you had in life, don't matter what possessions or other riches may have been your blessing, you would gladly give them all without a moment's hesitation to just be right with the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. And so the Bible would assist, and didn't Jesus say... He spoke about ten virgins, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The wise, you know, they had enough oil, not only for the moment, but even to last longer than that if the bridegroom delayed his coming. Matthew 25, verses 1 and following. Now the five foolish virgins, they also had oil for the time being. But they weren't prepared to endure and didn't have the lasting character such that in all moments they were ready. And when the bridegroom came, they weren't prepared. And we all remember what the bridegroom told them. The door was shut and they weren't allowed in. Oh, how we need to make sure we're ready. These first two lessons have reminded us that this life just brings so much uncertainty and maybe... There are many in our world who are unsettled by that, and I'm sure it's not the most comfortable thing to any of us. But the fact is, we have an avenue by which to attack the uncertainty. We have the certainty of God on our side. We have the assurance of Him on our side. In Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, that verse we mentioned earlier, It somewhat reminds us of many particular poems and other things that have been written touching subjects like that one. I'd like to share one of them with you. Out of this world I'm unable to take. Things of silver and gold that I make. All that I treasure and all that I keep I must leave behind when I fall asleep. I often wonder what I shall own in that other world where I go alone. What shall they hear and what shall they see? and the soul that answers the call for me. Shall the great judge commend when my task is through, my spirit for gaining great riches too? Or at the last shall it be mine to find, all that I've worked for, I've left behind. There's a tragedy in that poem, so great, isn't it? To think that our labor invested here is left behind us when we leave. Jesus had urged us in Matthew 6, 19-21 to, to lay up treasures so that they're waiting for us. Lay up treasures in heaven where there are no thieves and there's no moth and rust. But you see, if we lay up here only, then we're just going to, in essence, go where we don't have any treasures laid up. Lesson number three will bring us yet to another observation, and it's this one. It has to do with what, no doubt, the to of the news stories and our own observation and maybe even individuals we've known and what they faced this past week. Sometimes the pain that people on this earth are called upon to face is intense. It's not just a minor optional pain, but it's devastating. The loss of loved ones, the loss of life, the loss of every possession one has known. Your house is gone, perhaps your cars, the other things that you have enjoyed. The intensity of that kind of pain leads us maybe to reflect upon this. There are times when there are people who will accuse Jesus or accuse God at times like this. Why didn't you stop this? Why did you let this happen to me? In Luke 13, verse number 4. There is a passage that was the lesson text this morning. Jesus speaking said, Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell at Jerusalem? Why didn't Jesus stop the Tower of Siloam from killing 18 innocent people? That's a good question, isn't it? The Lord made note of the fact it happened. And he made observation of that and used that to insist a matter of thinking in the lives of those of that day to whom he was speaking. But at the very least, you and I can say this. The Bible simply testifies that sometimes our lot as Christians will be encumbered by significant loss, significant hurt, significant despair. In the sense that tragedies may come our way just as much as it may come to the way of others. To be prepared, as we noted earlier, would lead us to think a bit about how Job handled it. Do you remember the catastrophes that Job faced? As that book opened, the book of Job, all went so smoothly and well for him. He was the greatest man of the East, the text would say in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. But it quickly makes note of the fact that a number of things began to happen enemy nations or at least enemy peoples came and took away the oxen and the sheep and the camels and they destroyed a lot of his servants and killed them and then the final straw his own children were assembled in the eldest in the, in the house of the eldest and a great wind came and not only destroyed that house but killed those children in it and Job and his wife alone it seems were left And soon enough, even Job's wife was very little comfort to him. She even pointed out to him in Job 2 verse 9, Why don't you curse God and die? Job was left with some friends who often weren't as helpful as you might have hoped they'd be. And over the next several chapters in that book, they point out to him a number of their own decisions and observations, many of which turned out not to be right. But in the final analysis, Job was left with his faithfulness. Through it all, though he had some times of at least questioning, when the book closed, God said, Job has spoken the thing that's right. May I say that you and I should appreciate, even in moments of intensity, the last part of that statement is this, may we never allow those moments of pain or those moments of challenge cause us to lose our faith. May they never cause us to forfeit a home in heaven. Nothing in this life is worth it. In Romans 8, verses 35 and following, Paul, in fact, addressed somewhat of this when he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. upon our planet who would use something like what happened this past week and say, there you go, there can't be a God, or He'd never let that happen. All you people that gather in church buildings and pray to this being you call God, you really believe there's a God that would let that kind of hurting and devastation happen? You really believe that there's a God who would let innocent people and children die this way? And they will build strong arguments, at least in their mind, And they will often cause questioning character in the faith of some whose faith is already fairly weak. I'm telling you, we cannot let them cause our faith to be doubted. Heaven is too grand. They simply have failed to read some of the things we're studying today in the Bible. Lesson number four. When you think about suffering and that which we upon earth on occasion... Suffering; those, of course, in our community have notably this week. Doesn't that all almost immediately bring to mind the suffering that Jesus faced? Consider, with me, just a moment, a very few brief comments about that, and let's begin like this. Isn't it safe to say that every one of us, if we had our choice, would choose not to suffer? You know, if we had our choice, let the tornado go through somebody else's community, not mine. Let it destroy someone else's house instead of mine. I know that we would. I'm sure that we would, and there ain't anything wrong with thinking that way. But may I ask, consider the suffering of Jesus. He could have stopped it. He didn't have to go through it. All that intensity connected to the scourging... All of that death connected to the crucifixion, He didn't have to go through any of it. For you see, He Himself admitted, Peter, don't you know, put your sword up, Matthew 26, 53. Don't you know, I could call twelve legions of angels to deliver me from this moment. But because of His love for us, and it was the will of the Father, He did proceed through all of it. I hope it at least gives us a reminder that the Lord, though He could have chosen to distance Himself from it, He chose to endure it. And how blessed we are because He did. The last thought on that slide is this. The sufferings of Jesus are used on many occasions in the Bible to encourage our heart toward matters in faithfulness. 1 Peter 1.11, to name just a few other verses. That fourth lesson, talking about suffering that way, leads me to a fifth one. And in many ways, that text of Luke 13, verse 4, points us in this direction. When the God of heaven orchestrated His universe, He put in place what we perhaps should call natural law. Things that take place governed by these laws in physics or chemistry or perhaps oceanography or geology, whatever we wish to scientifically call it. But the laws of nature... And we understand the ongoing preponderance of them. Did you notice that Tower of Siloam fell in Luke 13, 4? We don't know why. Was it a storm? Was it the fact they'd built a weak foundation for it? Was it the fact of some other event? We simply don't know, but the fact is it fell and killed 18 men. Today, there are disasters, and we again, less than a week ago, have seen our share. We know these are a part of the fabric of the physical systems that God put in place upon this earth. Those physical systems we might appreciate like this. Did you notice the development in the Word of God? When Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden, do you suppose there were any tornadoes? Do you suppose that there were any other kinds of physical disasters that you and I could mention today? Was there lightning storms? Every indication that we have in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is that they lived in an environment wherein nothing like that happened. The Bible describes it as being, again, this place that every single thing was good. Everything that God had made was good. Genesis one thirty one. And that goodness leads us to rather quickly notice some changes or at least some developments. In the very next chapter, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, what was one of the strong elements God stated in its aftermath? We know He addressed the man and He addressed the woman and He addressed the serpent. But as a part of His address to man, He pointed out this earth is going to be cursed. We often think of that in connection to it will bring forth thorns and thistles and it's going to be hard labor for you to make a living. But do you notice it seemingly went further than that? The environment that is this earth was cursed. I'd suggest to you that a part of that has brought about things that would emanate in the disasters that we've seen. Hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, avalanches, wildfires, you name it. None of that existed before the events of Genesis 3, but certainly now it does. On the slide, I've asked you to notice the natural law that God put in place to govern the orchestration of His universe. After the fall, that curse has brought about this natural law that presents itself in the reality of these things that often are so good, beautiful sunny days and nice gentle breezes and temperate temperatures and things like that. But that same set of systems and laws that brings that about can also bring about twisters and hurricanes and extensive low-pressure systems and extensive snowfall and avalanches and you name it. It's the same laws that produce one can also produce the other. That's the system our God has put in place. You might notice in that fifth point, it leads us to number six. And it occurred to me how valuable this one could again be for us. The very existence of things like this, surely among other things, will teach us that our ultimate hope and love cannot be centered on this earth. We've got to be living for something better than this. We've got to be living for a place wherein these kind of disasters won't happen. You know, there won't be any tornadoes in heaven. There won't be any wildfires in heaven. But you know the things in hell will be much worse than any of it. But don't we all look for then a place wherein heaven won't know any of this. This earth is merely a place of preparation. Wherein you get your house in order, if you please, so that you can look forward to a place better than this one. This world is not our home. You know, I suppose we each have a strong temptation to find comfort in this world. Our dwelling places, our houses, the possessions that we enjoy. It isn't wrong to enjoy those things. It is enjoy to appreciate them and understand the source of them, but may we never become so attached to them that we allow them to be our God. That we look upon them as the ultimate answer to the things that we have. We sometimes sing that song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. No, those words are so very true. And I know that disasters like what has been the lot this week, it just reminds us that it brings tears to our eyes when we or those whom we're close to have suffered things like this. It just hurts from the inside out. I would think that makes all of us even more so, look forward to a place where this kind of thing just doesn't happen. One last thought on that slide. Doesn't it point us in a beautiful perspective? Colossians 3.1 says, If you then be risen with Christ, if you have been immersed in water for the remission of your sins, then set your affections on things above. Your greatest and ultimate hope is to be with the Lord forever. That's what we long for. It's what we yearn for. And we know that our sojourn here, as brief and as troubled as it can often be, is one that has at the outset of its horizon the beautiful and rich reward of a hope that lies beyond this one. As you and I close that slide, doesn't it remind us that these possessions that we have, Peter was so strong in reminding us that they're not going to last It may not be that a storm takes them. You and I may live throughout our life and enjoy them, but the time still will come that the earth's going to be burned up and those possessions are not going to persist into heaven. It just gives us perspective, doesn't it? That these things are physical, they're temporary, they're just a part of the sojourn upon this planet. A last set of thoughts and this lesson will be yours. We've reminded ourselves of a lot of things from the Word of God that at least relate in one way or another to these disasters and lessons that can be meaningful to us. But not only does it teach us not to depend upon ultimately things on this earth, doesn't it force us, encourage us, set before us a dramatic and beautiful desire to be dependent upon God, to trust in someone who is above the chaos here, Someone who is beyond it. Someone, in fact, who has a place far better than it prepared. Look at some of these thoughts with me. I mentioned it earlier in the lesson today, and it would seem fair to at least note it again. When a tornado was coming through, what power does man have to change the direction of that twister? What power does man have to stop it, to cause it to go back up into the sky? We are absolutely powerless with all the technology that we've got, with all the capability and computational power, computers and otherwise, we can do nothing when these tornadoes come. It seems to me it encourages us to lean pretty strongly, to lean very heavily upon a power that we can recognize as the God of heaven. He's the one that can offer hope. Not that He'll preserve us from it, not that we might be spared, but even in the face of that, He's promised, I'll be with you. Hebrews 13, 5 still says that I I will be with you. When Jesus talked to His apostles and said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, you may remember He said, Lo, I'll be with you always. How do you suppose they had the encouragement to persist in light of the persecution they'd face? How do you suppose that they had the wherewithal to face the challenges when they were threatened as they were? I have no doubt a part of it was they remembered with power. Didn't Jesus say He'd be with us? And as they remembered those words, it prompted them always, in light of good decision-making, to understand The power greater than they was at work. Gary mentioned right before the lesson started, right before the service started today, about how that many have pooled their resources and efforts and time in so many ways to assist in an effort of recovery like what has taken place in the last five or six days. As those things continue, and as you and I labor in the ways that we're allowed and able to do that, we can still appreciate that our dependence on God must be supreme. One last thing, I've simply entitled it qualities. Maybe it goes without saying, but one of the things that we certainly can do for those who we may not know them personally, and we may not know them in a very direct way, but we certainly know that there is a promised power to prayer. We are told, and it is so often a matter of tremendous promises, is it? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That promise of James 5.16 just echoes in our thinking as we appreciate we can then approach and rely upon one who does control this entire universe. And He controls it absolutely. That kind of control and that kind of power leads me to note this. Sometimes the influence you and I are able to have in a time like this, there may be others who will, in conversation or maybe even by observation, look at your life or mine. How is that person able to remain so strong? How is that person able to remain with such a character of knowledge, of assurance? He might give us an opportunity to present a powerful example Look at what Jesus has done in that person's life. I'd like to know something about that. I would like to understand a bit about that, so that even in catastrophes or otherwise, I'll have the wherewithal to endure it and to do so in a way that would be acceptable. One last thought about those qualities. There's a sweet result promised in the Bible to those whose faith has been tried. And it has been found, you see, all the dross and all the impurities have been siphoned off of it. That's the way they purified metals in the ancient era, of course, and it's still the way in many cases it's done. But surely, when you and I appreciate that there are disasters that are going to happen in this world, it may affect us. It may affect those we know and love. As it does, may we be prepared and always faithful, ever trusting in the one far greater than we i hope these thoughts have at least been somewhat remindful of some of the bible's teaching just like that tower of siloam fell and as sad as that was for those 18 and their families we know many in our community have suffered disaster this past week may we be able and ready and fortified in our own individual faith today are you ready Are you ready to leave this world to go home to glory? If you're not, you know you should be. We each need to be. None of us need to leave through the exiting doors of this building, not ready for eternity. If we do, we're making our own foolish choice, and we're making a bad decision because we don't know about tomorrow. If we could help you today in your response to the gospel, the Lord's plan of salvation, believe in Jesus, would you? Repent of your sins, confess His great name, and be baptized. And what a moment of joy and celebration that is. When you rise from that watery grave, the old man being dead, you rise a new creature in Christ, all sins forgiven. You can walk hand in hand to heaven with Jesus. But if you've become a Christian at some former time, and maybe for a while you knew the sweetness of that kind of life. You knew the hope that it engendered, and you knew the kind of confidence that it would give you. But over the course of time, you've begun to make other choices and live in other ways. Ways that you know Jesus doesn't approve. Ways that, in fact, Jesus is beckoning on the door of your heart today. Please come back to me. Please come back to me. He pleads with you but He does leave you to make the decision. We, as the Pippin congregation, be delighted to pray for you, to encourage you, to surround you with arms of love and acceptance, but more importantly, to simply highlight your place, your station, as faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to come back home today, won't you do it while together we stand and while we sing?